Welcome to the Recharge Your Life podcast with me, Dr. Carrie Ulrich and Kelly Gunther. We are thrilled to talk to people who have made a decision that recharged their lives. Often, they pushed themselves out of their comfort zone and took risks. We want to know about that decision point, why did they make that decision, and most importantly, how can we learn from them? Kelly and I are passionate HR professionals, and together we co-founded our HR consulting firm, Abracci Group. We have talked to amazing people throughout our careers and listened to them as they made decisions that changed their lives and knew that these inspirational stories would help others. And why did we call it Recharge? It's based on a book I co-authored called The Way of the HR Warrior. And in it, we have a leadership model, Charge, which stands for courage, humility, accuracy, resiliency, goal-oriented, and exemplary. We know that people used one or more of these qualities to help them make their decisions, and we want to learn from them. Now, sit back, listen, and be inspired by these stories, and then do something to recharge your life. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. It's Kelly. We're so honored to have Andy Lee as our very special guest. Andy has dedicated his career to helping leaders, teams, and organizations leverage the power of mindfulness to create a culture of engagement, innovation, and sustainable success. He's been teaching mindfulness in organizations since 2011. He is the founder of Mindful Ethos and senior consultant with Potential Project. Before founding Mindful Ethos, Andy was chief mindfulness officer at Aetna, where he and his team developed a range of programs to create a deeply rooted culture of mindfulness. These programs included in-person courses, webinars, and digital programs. He also developed a network of internal mindfulness advocates and created a mindfulness center in Aetna's home office. Previously, Andy held senior talent management roles at Merrill Lynch, Viacom, and Capital One. In these roles, he developed and managed a range of traditional talent management programs and processes, including competency models, leadership development programs, performance management processes, and survey feedback programs. Andy has a master's in organizational psychology from Columbia University and his all but dissertation in IO psychology from New York University. He holds a certificate in executive coaching from Baruch College and is a certified is certified as a mindfulness teacher by the Brown University Center for Mindfulness. That's quite an impressive resume, Andy. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. We always like to start by asking what show, podcast, book or blog do you go to when you want to push yourself and expand your thinking? Thanks, Kelly. It's great to be with you today. Um, the podcast that I go to is called 10% Happier, and it's uh, it's hosted by Dan Harris, who wrote a book by the same title. And um, most people know Dan Harris. He's a, uh, he's a newscaster, a news anchor and, on ABC. And he has he tells his own journey in his book about how he went from being totally stressed out and anxious at work to finding a sense of calm and peace through mindfulness. And he runs a great podcast that has researchers, um, mindfulness teachers, some spiritual teachers and business leaders and all kinds of people that talk about this general topic about mindfulness and, um, and how to be more present and more engaged and more relaxed and focused, um, whatever you do in your life. I, I wasn't paying attention, Andy. I wasn't mindful. No, I was totally joking. <laughs> that is like, it was a softball 
dad joke layup that you gave me about mindfulness. I'm like, I'm going to say it and I shouldn't have, and I'm sorry. Um, but welcome. I love your background, uh, especially your, uh, you were on the path to get your PhD, which when I enrolled in mine, the, the uh, dean told us, you're all just weird that you would get one. You don't need one. Like none of you really need it. <laughs> so you're all just ill getting your PhD. So I'm glad you were on that road, Andy. Um, but I have to ask, Chief Mindfulness Officer, were you one of the first ones who ever had held that title? Are there were there a lot of people out there? I need to know how did you how, how was it to get that title and to tell the CEO this is this is the kind of officer you need and they agreed. Yeah, it's a great story actually because um, I was teaching mindfulness at other companies. You know, I was I was a consultant already, and then one day I got a call from Aetna, and um, the person on the other end said. How would you like to? Uh, how would you like to be considered for the role of chief mindfulness officer at our company? And so, first off, the first thing I said, of course, was, "Who is this, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this like my sister punking me be, or whatever?" Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it turned out that Edna and I actually already knew this. Um, they had been working with mindfulness um, at work for years ahead of that. Wow. And they were looking to bring somebody in full time to kind of take their mindfulness game to the next level. So I knew it was credible. It was amazing. And I believe at the time it was the only position like that. So it was a huge honor. Wow. Do you know, are there other companies that have chief mindfulness officers? I've never heard of that. So I'm fascinated by this. Well, I don't know if they're called that in particular, okay. but there are, um, I mean, SAP has um, yeah. has uh, someone who runs a, a major mindfulness initiative there, um, EY also, Cliff Smith there, um, is in charge of a major mindfulness initiative, and he does that full time. And Scott Shute at LinkedIn, those are three people that come to mind that would pretty much fit that definition. Wow. Just when I think of, when we think back when many of our careers started, if someone told us in the future you'll probably have a chief mindfulness officer. There's no way. Like in HR, because you have a background in more traditional HR. If someone told you that in, you know, 95, that there would be that type of role, most likely wouldn't have no, believed it's, it. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. Thank you for sharing all that. And the podcast uh, referral what, is a great one. I'll have to check that one out. What? So now the big question, Andy. What is the decision that you made in, in your life that changed the trajectory? And what are some of the charge qualities that you use to help you make that decision? Yeah, well, I would have to say that it's actually two decisions that I want to talk about. Um, that's all right, Carrie. Of course and it is. As many <laughs> listeners know, people don't uh, use the rules here. They kind of do what they want to do. So absolutely. Let's take the first one first, though. Okay. The first decision I made was back when I was working at Merrill Lynch and, and um, living uptown um, in Manhattan, um, one day I decided that I could not take my career, I could not take my job for one day longer. That on that day, I said, there's just no way that I can go in and do this again. And um, I called in to my company and I talked to my boss um, who is, by the way, very supportive. And, uh, you know, I've stayed in touch with all the people that I work that I, that I worked with there. But at the time, 
I was just done. And I called my boss and I said, I just can't come in today. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going through something. And this is, I, I just can't keep working the way I have been. Something's got to change. And um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be right now because I just can't come into work today. I'm done. Wow. So what, what was the job? Let's go back a little. What were you actually doing? Well, it was a great job. It was uh, working in talent management and supporting part of the organization. Um, the uh, the IT organization at um, at Merrill Lynch, and um, but the challenge was that um, I just kept on taking more on more and more work, and my boss thought I was great, you know, mm. and she kept on giving me more and more to do, mm. and I felt this I felt this pressure that I don't want to turn anything down because um, I've only been there for a couple of years. I want to keep building my reputation, my visibility. I, and um, things just kept stacking up. And then besides that, I have to say, I was also in a personal relationship in a marriage that wasn't working out. Mm. And, and again, it was just a bad match. And the two of those things together were just overwhelming me. I was just, um, I, was not in a, I was not in a happy place. I used to say that, or I, I still do say that the fa- my favorite part of those days was actually the commute between work mm. and home. That's the one place where I found some peace. And that's on the number four and five train, okay, in Manhattan. So when that's the best part of your day, then <laughs> something's got to change. <laughs> I love you're like riding the subway with whatever people want to expose of themselves to me is still the best part of my day on the New York subway. What go back to that moment though, when you're walking, you're like, I have to make this call and I can't go in. Was this kind of an, a, a lightning bolt, Andy, that just hits you, or was it building for a while? And then you're like, okay, that's it. Today's the day I can't do it. Like, how much did it shock you that you made that phone call? That's a great question, Carrie. In so many ways, I've been building for a long time. Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, it, it did feel like a bolt of lightning because until the end, I felt like um, I just need to get through this day. I was just, um, I was basically in denial. Mm. I was basically kind of checked out on my life and um, just putting one step, one foot in front of the other and pretending everything's fine. When, um, you know, my body certainly knew that everything wasn't fine and, and my mental state was telling me everything wasn't fine, but I was pretty deep in denial. And um, that's why also at that time, I had been aware of mindfulness and meditation, but something even in that moment told me that I needed to be more present in my life. I needed to be more connected and engaged with what I want to do, with how I'm feeling about things. And I knew that mindfulness would be the thing that would help me. And um, that's kind of, that's where the, the seeds were sown for my second decision. So what happened though, before we get to the second decision, you make the phone call and your boss says, sure, don't come in. And then did you just not come in anymore? Like, I need to know these details. And then what happened with the marriage? Obviously it didn't last because you mentioned that, but like, give us the next few days after you make this phone call. Cause it's like the start of the movie where you're like, I'm out. Then what happened? Then I, um, I went back home and my wife was upset, you know, because I was upset. I mean, that mm-hmm. is the way it goes. And um, then I called my therapist because I, I had a therapist and she kind of guided me. She said, 
you know, she said, take it easy. You don't have to go in today. Come in and see me. We'll talk about things. We'll figure out what's going on and we'll figure out what, what needs to happen next. And what happened was that, um, I took, um, I, I went into an, um, um, an inpatient program for depression. Wow. And, uh, and I stayed there for, um, a couple of weeks and then transitioned to outpatient and then continued with them for a couple of months and then started to kind of rebuild things from there. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Andy. Cause I think a lot of people, as you well know, and why you probably, one of the reasons you love mindfulness is they go through life, not mindful, like you said, in denial and, how that affects your relationships and your job and your own physical health, as well as your, of course, your mental health. So I really appreciate you sharing that. That took a lot. And thank you. You're welcome. And I definitely see it in many places. And at the time, I definitely saw it on Wall Street in the financial sector, Mm -hmm. certainly where people, um, you know, you kind of get blinders on in certain careers and you think that you know what it takes to be successful. You know, I got to make MD. I got to make partner. And nothing matters until I get there. It doesn't matter what it takes or what it costs. And um, and that can lead to some un- unhealthy outcomes. And, you know, to just stop a second and say, you know, really, what am I doing? And do I want to be doing this? And why am I doing this? Just because everyone tells me that this is what needs to happen and this is what I've always wanted to do since, you know, for 20 years, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's still what you need to do. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people get a taste of that, at least sometimes. Oh, my goodness. We, we've talked about this a few times in the podcast of just that, like you said, with the blinders on going for, I need to be director, I need to be vice president, and it doesn't matter everything else, or I'm not listening to my body telling me, yeah, this isn't right, or something's off. It's like, nope, I need to get this goal. I need to get this. I need to do it by the time I'm 40 or by the time I'm 35. Um, and damn the rest of what's going on in my life. I'm not going to listen. But you at that moment did listen and did take care of yourself. And so now that probably leads to your second decision um, on mindfulness that I know you want to talk about. Yes. So I had been aware of mindfulness and meditation, but I really hadn't been doing much of it at all. And, um, and what happened in that moment is not in that moment, but after I got out of, um, after I got out of therapy and got out of the outpatient and and the kind of major time commitment to to therapy and, and healing that, that I was giving and started to think about what I wanted to do next. And, you know, this is kind of the genius of the human spirit in a way where so many times we hear stories about the things that people struggle with after they get through them. The first thing they want to do is they want to make sure that nobody else has to go through that, you know, or to help somebody to avoid making those same decisions and ending up in that same place. And that's when I decided that, well, I guess I'm skipping a little bit here. After I left Merrill Lynch for good, um, you know, came off a long-term disability and just kind of, and gave my notice. I did spend a month at a Buddhist monastery. And that really uh, was what I needed and resonated with me in a deep way. And I said, wow, if I could bring this, these practices to the workplace in a way that people could benefit from them, like I said, to make better decisions um, and to keep them from burning out and from, or from getting overwhelmed, that's really what I wanted to do. And that's when it's, that's when kind of that, it, that the change started to shift. It wasn't really a day, but I started to, 
turn towards the idea that that's what I want to do with my life to teach people these skills, to keep them out of these types of situations. Mm. What, um, how has your life changed since you've made that decision to, to now teach mindfulness? Like, obviously it took from my hair, from your first decision, that took a ton of courage to not only just go through it, but then keep reliving it and telling people about it. Because some people could say, I'm not going to tell anyone that I was depressed or I did that. Like, I'm going to pretend again, things are fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that took a lot of courage. But what, how did your whole kind of life and your career shift because you decided I'm going to teach people mindfulness and I'm going to help people because I don't want them to be in this position like I was? Well, it really felt like I was doing something that was more than a job. Mm -hmm. And am doing something that's more than a job. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I forget the author that talks about a job versus a vocation versus a calling. Um, Mm -hmm. but it felt like it was, it was, um, it was something that I believe personally was important. And I had the incredible opportunity after a little while, not right away, but to make a living at it, you know? And, um, it's changed my life in so many ways because the fact that um, I'm teaching these things um, during the day and I'm practicing these things at home, they kind of support each other. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, if I'm going to teach this stuff, I certainly need to stay up on it myself. And so teaching it has helped me to stay on track personally. And it's just so re- rewarding. I mean, when you teach mindfulness, it's very different from teaching like time management or, you know, the types of other things that you, you know, giving feedback, the things that I've taught over my career, because people say, wow, I really see things differently now. I really, uh, it's really changed my perspective on things. And, um, it, if you, you know, after a class like that, people really are affected. And when you teach that, you know, you can't take credit for it because these things have been around for thousands of years. But if you're able to play a role in helping somebody to have a really, you know, important realization like that, it feels great. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really affected my life in that way, for sure. That is, um, I was just thinking when you were saying, I teach it, I better do it at home, that exemplary so we talk about the charge model to be to be exemplary. And so if I'm teaching it, I better do it. And for mindfulness, for sure, you can't teach it from nine to – well, I guess you could, Andy, teach it from nine to five and then go home and not be mindful at all. But when you talked about – so you're very exemplary from that perspective. And I think your being the fact that you can feel that you make such a difference in people's lives, like it is transformational – Versus, like you said, the feedback class is nice and that can help, but you really see that you're transforming lives and you're getting to the core and that is beyond rewarding. And I know like just even this podcast, being able to share your story and other people's stories and we get feedback that it's impacted people on a very deep level. And that is the most rewarding thing that we can do for us. It's not the money, it's the, it's impacting people's lives. And that's what you were talking about. Yeah. It's, um, and thanks for pointing out that exemplary piece, which is so important. Um, and I do feel great about being able to do this. And I'm glad that you, you play a role in, in helping people with these things too. And I was looking through your charge, uh, framework actually. And there's one, there's one, um, dimension that jumped out at me, which is a dimension of courage. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And what I would say is, um, in my first decision, there was the absolute lack of courage, the total lack of courage that got me into that situation. Mm-hmm. And it was not courage that I called on to call my, com- my call my boss and say I can't make it in. It was because I was just totally out of options, you know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and then, but going forward to to commit to teaching mindfulness or to try to make a living at this, which at the time you know, it's, and even now it's not a, um, it's not a given at all. No, that did take some courage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, we like to say helping people and transforming their lives usually does not equate to money making. <laughs> um, you can make money, but it's certainly not like, as you were, I'm sure surrounded by extreme wealth in wall street and Merrill Lynch, when you see that kind of money versus helping people. Not quite the same. No, nope, no, not quite the same. <laughs> not quite the same. What um, actions would you and advice would you give our our listeners to help them when they're making these decisions? And and how you said mine was a complete like lack of courage and got me to this to this point. What are some of the things you want them to take away from this chat that we're having with you? Well, I think it's really important to. Um, to listen to maybe the quieter voice, mm-hmm. you know, to listen to what's what you're saying to yourself, to listen to yourself when you have doubts, to listen to yourself when you have um, urges or desires or when you feel unfulfilled in some way. I mean, we're always going to feel unfulfilled in some way, but if you're if you're feeling that something's not quite clicking, um, don't let it go you know, investigate it. And it doesn't mean that there's necessarily anything terribly wrong, you know? Um, but I would encourage people to just stay open to um, to thinking about how things are going for them, thinking about how they're feeling about their situation personally and professionally. And this is obviously very broad. I mean, some of the things that people find very helpful is things like journaling, mm-hmm. um, where you just write every day um, a couple of pages and see what comes out. And don't write that off. You know, don't take all your cues from what's expected of you, um, what the career ladder says, what your boss told you, what your spouse or your family or even a mentor tells you is right. Um, but use your own judgment. Listen carefully to yourself. And not that it's necessarily going to be different or the same, but just stay open to that. Andy, I feel if we could just package the few sentences, the few minutes that you just spoke, everyone needs to hear that daily. That's their daily start to their to their day, that you need to reflect on some of those feelings. Uh, so many of us don't. You push it away. We, we talked earlier um, to another guest about intuition for kids. And you know, Andy, how we as adults, the kid will say something and you'll say, no, 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 don't. Do you have any data? Do you have any? Just don't don't listen to that gut or don't listen to that instinct. And so to listen to that and also shed what everyone else is telling you to do, the career ladder, you should do this by 35. You should get married by this time. You should have a kid by this time and not listening. So what beautiful advice that you've given to people. And I know Kelly journals like nobody's business. So Kelly is, I always will talk and she'll say to me, Carrie, I've journaled about that. 
last night. I've written five pages on it and I have a lot to say to you about it. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So she is the journaler extraordinaire for sure. Yeah. I appreciate that, Andy, because, you know, journaling has been really therapeutic for me because I have a high sense of urgency to get things done. And sometimes in the course of a day, I'm not really able to really just pause and think through a situation because my sense of urgency around getting something else accomplished is overriding that desire to step and think. So um, I love the vulnerability that you, that you're showing um, our listeners in that it, it shows just how committed you are to the practice practice of mindfulness that you really were able to go back to the not so fun parts of, of your life. You know, when you're at Merrill Lynch, you're realizing this just isn't for me. I can't do it. I can't do one more day. There's just, I mean, yeah, I could do it, but maybe I wouldn't be the best version of myself. I wouldn't be there for my teammates. Um, but that commitment to not only your personal journey and understanding what you went through and, and how you've moved on really helps understand and in shows just how meaningful your role as a mindfulness coach can be with others as they're pursuing their journeys toward mindfulness. And it doesn't have to be something that happens in a moment's notice. It's a gradual progression. How long would you say it sort of took you to, you know, with when you when you realized I can't go into work another day at this job to, you know, getting the treatment that you needed and thank you again for sharing that to going to the to the Buddhist monastery. What was sort of the evolution like and from a time frame perspective? Mm-hmm. Well, those things all happen quite quickly, I have to say. Okay, nice. <laughs> um, the, the, so probably uh, maybe four or five months for, for, the whole, for that whole part, for okay. that whole thing to kind of unfold. But the longer journey was really um, getting deeper into mindfulness practice and then committing to becoming a teacher, um, specifically a teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction or MBSR, which takes quite a while. It's a it's a rigorous process. Um, and then even in between there, you know, getting that executive coaching certificate and um, learning how to be how to bring coaching, how to bring mindfulness into one-on-one executive coaching, which there wasn't really much of a model for at the time. And so it's been, it's been the first part started quite quickly, and then it just kind of branched out in different ways and kind of spread out and continues to spread, you know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of still ongoing, really. Mm-hmm. I love that you also mentioned the openness piece that you were open enough to allow for other frames of thought, um, different perspectives to that you welcome them into your life to then determine, well, does that make sense for me? Is that something I want to um, explore further. Maybe it's something that I don't appreciate, so I don't have to necessarily do anything about it. I think, um, personally, that's my struggle. I'm not always open to new perspectives or new things. Um, I do push myself to learn, but do I really want to practice something different or new? That can be sometimes hard for me. So what would you say for someone who is maybe not as open or maybe a bit skeptical of the practice of mindfulness? What would be some great ways to start? Well, to start mindfulness, there's a, there's a number of apps and courses that are available. You know, apps are actually not a bad way to start. So 10% Happier also has an app. Headspace and Calm are some of the popular ones. Wellness Coach is another one. And by just starting with a mindfulness practice of 10 minutes a day can help to um, 
kind of re-regulate our systems when we're very stressed and also create a little mental space. Um, and a lot of times that's what we really need that we don't get, which is the opportunity to, to stop and listen and just be present without trying to change something or do something or fix something and just kind of rest in, in the present moment. And that doesn't sound like something important to achieve, but it's kind of like walking out of the forest into a clearing. You know, you don't, you don't really appreciate the fact that that creates so many other possibilities, you know, that now you can play soccer or build a, build a house or build a tent, you know, set up a tent, um, creating that clearing in your mind that will create a lot of other opportunities for thinking about things or rethinking things or, um, you know, being honest or exploring that kind of thing. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I love that it, it doesn't necessarily have to be something where you're devoting your entire life's work to it as you are, Andy, in um, your practice, but 10 minutes and using apps is a really great way. I mean, people are, are you know, use apps for so many things um, that, you know, the, the suggestions you made, we'll make sure to put into our show notes. And I would definitely encourage anyone and everyone who, who would like to connect with Andy to please do so. Um, I feel so grateful to have had this conversation with you and we, we are so um, grateful and honored to that you are on our podcast today. So if you are interested in connecting with Andy, feel free to do so on LinkedIn at Andy Lee. Um, again, I will include all of Andy's contact information in our show notes so that you can easily access um, all of that information as well as links to the apps that uh, Andy mentioned in our in our show today. So again, thank you, Andy, so much for joining our podcast and for sharing your incredibly um, personal story with us. I think it will really um, help people decide, maybe I'll do something a little bit different today, or I'll, I'll frame um, my thinking in a different way, given what you've just shared. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you, Carrie. It's been, it's been great to be on with you. And thanks for inviting me. You're so welcome. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to the Recharge Your Life podcast. Please sign up for our newsletter at abracigroup.com and follow us on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn at Abracci Group, Instagram at Warriors of HR, and Twitter at Warriors underscore HR. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and please tell a friend. And be sure to drop us a note on how you are recharging your life. We can't wait to hear from you. 